no deal is going to go through perfectly. And you need to account for that. You need to have carry costs set aside. You need to have extra CapEx that's not forecasted in your plan and just have a little bit more money and make sure that the deal, be more patient, finding the right deal that has enough room that you can do that. Best ever listeners, where are you going to be on February 22nd and 23rd? I am visualizing that you're going to be in Denver, Colorado, because that's where the best ever conference is. And that's when it is February 22nd, 23rd. Go to besteverconference.com and even put in take five. So you get 5% off your ticket. So that is T-A-K-E and the number five whenever you purchase your ticket. And buy now because ticket prices go up weekly. So go to besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference, the agenda, the speakers. We've got an incredible speaker list focused on commercial real estate. So that includes five plus units if you're in multifamily. And you're going to get a lot of value from this conference. Go to besteverconference.com. It's the third time we've done it. It improves every year and we have raving reviews. I'm not just saying it. Ask people who have attended every year. Besteverconference.com. Enter Take5, T-A-K-E-5 when you purchase your ticket and get an extra 5% off. Ticket price is going up weekly, so get it today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today. Paul Nagaoka, how you doing, Paul? I'm doing awesome, Joe. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing awesome too and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Paul. He started studying no money down real estate at the age of 12 and he got started in real estate 14 years ago. He purchased 350 units and had a team of 35 based in Kansas City, Missouri. And his website, you can click through on the show notes page. We have that in there. So with that being said, Paul, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah. So I'm kind of keeping this story as short as possible. I was a weird kid. When I was six, my friends wanted to be firefighters and, and that kind of thing. And I always wanted to take Alan Greenspan's job as chairman of the Fed. Uh, and then when I was eight, I started investing in stock market. And 12, I started studying no money down real estate investing. My mom would go to these seminars and pay a bunch of money for education and uh, hoping to kind of give us a better scenario. And I ended up taking the content and learning it. And out of high school, started a business and took the money I made from that and rubbed my nickels together, started investing in real estate. And for the last 14 years, that's what I've been doing full time. I took two and a half years off to travel the world. But outside of that, I've been just doing real estate. I purchased 350-ish properties and units over that period of time, built out a team. I really believed in owning all the different verticals of real estate. So I had a construction crew of 15 I ran, had in-house property management, a finance division to keep the K-1s and all the different accounting straight and had a broker on staff to help me find deals. So just kind of put all that together and, and would go out and, and syndicate deals and purchase them. And that's the story. I think I heard you mention the team as past tense. So do you not have that team anymore? I don't have that team anymore. So you want me to kind of jump yeah. into yeah, please. Why, what happened? why that happened? Okay. Well, so after doing it for a while, buying a bunch of property and, and coming to the place in life where I really didn't necessarily need to work anymore. I always wanted to travel the world and kind of do that with my wife. And we just decided we're going to do it or we have to give up on the dream. And to be honest, doing all the different elements of real estate from construction and property management and overseeing finance and haggling with municipalities over zoning issues, 
and doing deals and finding them. I wasn't focused on the areas that I really loved the most. And I started getting burnt out in real estate. I was only working maybe 20 hours a week at that point, but uh, I was really not happy with what I was doing. And I wanted to kind of take a step back and really ask some big questions and say, what is it that drives me? If I don't have to work, why am I doing it? And what do I want to do? So we sold 275-ish units and different properties and yeah, packed it up and kind of let go of the whole team and, and hired three different management companies to manage the easy properties to manage from a distance and I took off. And you've just been traveling the world ever since, remote. Uh, <laughs> you got the three management companies. Yeah, and no, not quite. Companies. Kind of, but not quite. So it was supposed to be a three to six month trip. And two and a half years later, we came back. So we're traveling and I was kind of trying to find what really drove me and what I was super passionate about. I got involved in some really weird stuff. I uh, actually got involved in modeling and acting and TV show hosting overseas and kind of crushed it at that. It was really fun. Where at? And just Southeast Asia. So I was in Southeast Asia and Singapore and I've kind of filmed all over their region, did nine different TV shows, including like an HBO original and hosted a reality TV show for Fox and was nominated the top fashion model of the continent of Asia in 2016. So I kind of, you, you know, go. really went for it and it was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> it was wild, you know, like, to go from real estate number crunching when my peers are 75 year old rich guys and jumping into like a totally different world was really, really fun, incredible experience. And we got to really check out a large portion of Asia and really sink our teeth into it. But we got pregnant with our next kid and just asked the question, do you want to live in Asia the rest of our lives? And, and is this really what I want to do? And the answer to that was no. I came back to the United States from there, really took a good long think about what and how I want to do business again and got back into real estate. And now I'm back doing real estate, but I'm doing it smarter this time, Joe. So as opposed to just trying to own all the different components of it, I built out a team where I have my mother partners in the business. We all stay in our lane and they're able to really handle a lot of the different pieces that I didn't enjoy very much. And they're super passionate about it. Love those different parts of it. And so they own those elements. I just get to do the parts that I think are fun, which are raise the money, find the deal, do the creative structure of the opportunity. And then I really pass off the operations and the legal side to the other parts of my team. And it's awesome. I'm like actively having tons of fun doing real estate. And that's a real litmus test for me now on doing this kind of thing. When you mentioned you like the raising money, finding the deal and doing the creative structure of the opportunity, will you elaborate on the third part, the creative structure of the opportunity, which you're referring to? Yeah, I have this weird, a little bit different approach. Multifamily has been a real kind of sweet spot for me, but now multifamily deals really aren't the types of opportunities for that aren't available as they were. So maybe I can highlight that with two different deals that I've done. Please. Several years ago, I bought a 72-unit apartment complex and honestly didn't have enough money to do it. So I couldn't finance traditionally from the bank. So what I did is I sat down with the owner, built rapport and trust and gave him a really good strategy on what I was going to do with the property and why he should sell or finance the deal to me. So I ended up talking to this guy into seller financing, like I think it was 93% of the carry back. I think I put maybe $100,000 down on the project and bought it from him and told him I'd refinance him out of the deal. From there, I brought on another partner and we put another $2.3 million into the project kicked everybody out, took rents from 350 to 650 to 675. I uh, did a really beautiful top level renovation on the project. And then we refinanced three years later, pulled all of our cash out and some. So now we have this great non-recourse loan 
on the property and have this great little cash flowing asset. So that's kind of an example, and that's a structure strategy yeah, I've been doing a, that, the last while. Yeah, very interesting. When you said you put down 100K and then you brought in a partner and then you two put in 2.3, was that cash from your partner or was that a loan that was obtained? It was part cash. So we got a bank loan that cashed out the the, original. Yeah, the, the owner yeah, that had the first lien. And then it was part my cash and part his cash to come up with the difference for the equity needed for the construction loan. So okay. um, I needed some more money. So we needed about, I think it was 600, 650,000, something like that. So why didn't you just use that structure to start with instead of doing the creative structure with the seller financing? Well, I didn't have the 650000 and doing the traditional raise from the... I needed a little bit more strength on the guarantee. I had a bunch of property and I needed a, a bit of a stronger partner on that side. So it probably would have been a way to be able to approach it that way. But so my original strategy, Joe, was to buy it and then use a lot of the cash flow to renovate the buildings and have a little right. bit of reserve and do it onesie twosie as we were per month. Yeah. And, and always do it looks good on paper. Yeah, it sure did. And then <laughs> about three months into it, you know, uh, just wasn't, uh, wasn't it wasn't that flowing. fun. And it was cash flowing, but it wasn't as productive. You underestimate what it takes to transition a property and keeping $350 a month tenants in the same space as a $650, $700 tenant, they don't mix well. It's kind of like oil and water. They just don't mix as well. So yep. it was pretty difficult to kind of do that. And really the way to do it is just do it all at once and pull the bandaid off all at the same time. Yep. Was that the main thing that was underestimated a little bit? The two resident profiles, one at 350 and one at 650? Or were there other things that if you were presented a similar opportunity again, that you would update in your assumptions? Yeah. What I liked about the seller finance structure is that it gave me control of the property immediately. I saw it was a good opportunity and I needed to jump on it immediately so that it didn't go to somebody else. Okay. So I was happy with that part. And then it gave me time to explore getting a different solution. But I would say updating that, and actually that is a model that we've replicated multiple times on multiple different multifamily projects. It always costs more than you think. So luckily we bought it right. And I always really focus on that as just make sure I'm buying the deal at a good price that if I have an oops factor of 15, 20, 30% on my construction side, that I'm prepared for that. And probably the other piece on this project that was a bit of a challenge was the carry cost and the timing of it. We had a bit of a hiccup with the city that slowed us down for about three months. But honestly, all in all, the project went a lot smoother and really wasn't terribly difficult. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, Joe. I mean, I say it's not difficult. Kicking everybody out and doing $2.3 million renovation and completely doing everything new from top to bottom, that's, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but it went relatively smoothly, yeah. Yeah, well, all's well that ends well. What was the hiccup over the three months? Just curious. Oh, it was with the MEPs, so the, the electrical, they wanted upgraded service and they wanted it ran from the other side of the street. So we had to get a process to be able to do that and then it took a while to get the permits. I believe we had a bore underneath the street to be able to get it across. And we weren't anticipating having to do that. And honestly, we didn't have to for zoning or code compliance, but they just wanted us to do that. And it's really hard to argue yeah. with a city municipality person that just has more time and has a chip on their shoulder yep. <laughs> and doesn't yep. seem to like you for whatever reason. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, is there anything with that particular scenario, anything that you could do prior to the deal 
or any question that you could ask if you were presented a, a similar deal and you're like, wait a second, I want to make sure I avoid this three-month hiccup with the city on an issue I know has come up before. Would you ask a question or reach out to a certain group for another deal? Yeah. I did a bit of ready, fire, aim on that project, um, <laughs> right. which sometimes you just got to do that if you want. If you see something that makes sense, you just got to jump on it. But yeah, I do diligence on the front end. It's always the most important part of process. And now that I have a little bit more talented operators and more robust in terms of executive team with me now, we never get less than 90 days of due diligence on a project. And we ask a lot of those questions to the city. But honestly, and if I was listening to this, what I could get out of a similar scenario if I was in it again, is just be prepared and know that you're going to face things that you don't plan on. And no deal is going to go through perfectly. And you need to account for that. You need to have carry costs set aside. You need to have extra CapEx that's not forecasted in your plan and just have a little bit more money and make sure that the deal, be more patient, finding the right deal that has enough room that you can do that. What would you recommend that extra carry cost or extra CapEx to be on a project? Okay, well, let me give you another example. So I bought a hotel three or four weeks ago now, kind of did a similar scenario, sat down with the owners and negotiated a sweetheart, 92% carry back. And on that transaction, we budgeted our room. It's a boutique hotel and it's a really high price kind of thing. So it's got nine units and some other additional space there. It's right behind the art museum and core area, Kansas City, kind of interesting, expensive hotel okay. <laughs> is, uh, is the deal. <laughs> so just bought that and we negotiated to sell carry. And, but on the project, we had my budget for the renovation. There wasn't a whole lot of renovation required for the project. But I literally added 30% to my budget just to make sure that I was safe on any area. And then my carry cost, I think I can get the project done in six months. And I added a year's worth of carry in there. I feel like, especially if you're syndicating, and I know I've listened to your podcast, Joe, and I know you have, this is more of an advanced level listeners that you have. And when you're syndicating deals and when you're raising funds with investors, you always want to make sure you under-promise and over-deliver. And if you can't get a deal to really pencil well with lots of extra safety in there, it's just better to move on and look for something else, my perspective. How'd you find this boutique hotel? Well, actually, one of my partners brought a different one that we're also under contract under right now and, and set to close in February. And then somebody told me about a sister property to it that was kind of down the street and similar location. And since that deal was so good, I just had really good timing on that one. It wasn't like a off-market deal, but it had just got listed. Mm -hmm. There were probably seven or eight other parties that were interested in the project. And I always find it best to negotiate a deal with the seller directly. I think a lot gets lost in communication when you're going through a realtor. And so I look at them as my first gatekeeper. So I usually never have a realtor or I have somebody, but I'm really doing the deal. I really try to be the liaison communicating with them. And then I connect with the broker and I asked him to, hey, look, I really want to put a deal together here. I think there's something really viable and I'm serious. Here's my experience. Here's what I've done in the past. Would you be open to facilitating a 30-minute sit-down with your seller and I will get him an offer by the end of that conversation? Are you open to doing that? So from there, they were able to let me sit down with the seller directly and I was able to build trust and kind of talk through my track record. And you saw that and ended up taking my offer over other offers that he had because he knew who I was and he saw my face and he believe that I'd be able to close. Where was the meeting? In the hotel. <laughs> At the hotel in a private room or just like in a lounge area where? 
It was in the sunroom next to the fireplace. Oh, wow. by the how quiet. By the, uh, and were, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> there were strangers coming past you all during the meeting, right? Yeah, well, it was place. it was an open area, but but luckily we didn't have too much of that. So. Okay, all right. So yeah. you sit down with the owner. Is it just you and the owner, or is it the? Broker? It was me, the owner, and their broker. And their broker, got it. So it's the three yeah. of you, correct? And his wife, yeah. And so the, the, the owner's wife. Yep. Right. The broker didn't bring his wife, obviously. Wouldn't that be great? Right. That'd that be the that, inter- that, most interesting deal ever done. That would be. So you sit down. Then what? How do you approach that conversation? Well, I do my homework on the property before I get in there. And I think that's real important is you got to go in there with a plan. You got to know what you're trying to get, what your objectives are out of the meeting. You got to have your pro forma done and really run the numbers in a way that you know the range that you can make an offer on. So usually how it goes, you start off, at least for me, just some small talk and try to find some element of common ground that you can really relate to the person and see that, hey, this guy is a lot like me. And then from there, I shared a little bit of my story and what I've done and given him examples of different projects around town that he knows of that I participated in. And from there, it's a real delicate balance. I try to put people at ease the best I possibly can. There's this really fantastic book written by an FBI hostage negotiator called Never Split the Difference that anybody's listening to this that wants to know how to do face-to-face negotiations better, I think should listen to that book. But I use a lot of those types of principles where you go in, you build rapport, and then try to create a scenario where they really trust that you're looking out for their best interest. And genuinely, if your heart really is to try to find a really good win-win scenario, you can do that authentically and then just try to craft something that makes sense. I think it's really key to be listening more than you're talking. The more you can get the other person to talk, the better. And you got to listen for those keys. What are they trying to get out of this situation? What's a win for them? You know, found out they're wealthy. They didn't need the money right away. So full price offer with a carry is more attractive than doing something that's all cash. That's a little bit under their price. So you just hear for those kinds of things and then you have your moving pieces and you make your offer. Are there any tax benefits to them for doing it your way versus getting paid all up front traditionally? Well, that's a good question for a CPA. <laughs> but, so I mean, that's I think not something in your repertoire where you bring that up then. That was- no, not really. I think for when you look at it, I think one of the benefits, I think it'd probably give a little bit more timing uh, in terms of doing some sort of exchange or anything on that side. I think that would be a benefit. But yeah, that's not really a piece that I try to communicate. I, I really try to stay higher level on whatever the pieces that really move them. And if that was something, I would probably be not qualified to really go there with them. Okay. So I'm the owner of the boutique hotel and you ask me, what am I looking for? And I'll say the price that it's advertised for. And you say, well, okay, I can do that. Here's how I can structure it. And I say, well, I'd rather get the price and then be out of the deal. So I'll just wait to get a full price offer. What's your response? Well, in that scenario, it depends what I can do. If I can buy something. So a good example of that is I have a just 21,000 square foot empty retail space that I'm making an offer on today, actually. Same scenario came up where we're discussing owner financing and we were able to get to a point where we could just purchase the thing without having to do that component because we got the price where we needed to. So just kind of threw that out the window and went with the more traditional model. So I think it comes down to really knowing your numbers. So like on the boutique hotel, a similar type of project, I hit the market a week or two after I had this under contract 
for 40% more than its original the listing price of this property. So I knew it was a great deal. And whether I had to buy it without seller carry or with seller carry, that was something I was willing to do. But if it was a different scenario and I couldn't do any other option, and I don't have that option. So if he says, hey, look, I have full price. And I would probably not quite give up at that point. I would say, come back around and say, you know, hey, look, I'm really trying to create some sort of win-win scenario here that we can both fit in and feel really good about. Are there any other moving pieces to this? That would be areas that maybe could help justify, help get me to a point where I can really help make a full price offer and do this with you. And then I would give him a couple suggestions, leaving some different elements on the property that he might not typically do or negotiating. I'll give you full price, but you have to do the roof and you have to do this and this and this or some other ways that could help line us up. Mm -hmm. It's very valuable. I appreciate you talking through this with us. Taking a step back, and you knew this was coming because you said you're listening to the show. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Now, is this to somebody new getting started or is this someone that's been in the game for a bit? Been in the game for a bit. Wow. Probably the biggest piece of advice that I would say, this is for me, is really figure out what part of the process you enjoy the most and you're the best at. And then build a team around you that can support you in the other ways that you're not as talented at. So my process, I was doing the operational elements and I'm not as talented at that, honestly, Joe. I, that's not an area that I, I'm that strong and I can do it, but I don't enjoy it and I'm not that great at it. So build a team around you that can support you in areas that you have weakness. And then I would say life's short. If this is something that you're really passionate about, really find a way that you can really enjoy every element of your working life and really ask that question. What about this drives me? Why am I doing this? And answer those questions and then really focus on those components for the rest of the time that you have that you're working on real estate. It's a long time. We spend a lot of time working. And so if you're not alive in what you do, you need to figure out a way to be able to make those pieces come together. And it may not be exiting the industry. It may just be refocusing like I did on the different parts that really make you come alive. Powerful advice. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm in. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, best ever conference. That's where you want to be. February 22nd and 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Put in the code TAKE5, T-A-K-E, and the number five to get an extra 5% off. Ticket prices go up weekly, so buy it today. Besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference at the website, all about the speakers. You can read about them and what you will experience when you're there besteverconference.com. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin' Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellin.com forward slash show. That's d-w-e-l-l-y-n-n.com forward slash show. Best ever book you've read recently? A best ever book I read is the Hostage Negotiation book. Never Split the Difference. Never Split the Difference. Got it. Is that Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference? No, that's you know, not. His is the, um, I forget, but I interviewed him episode 1244. So you mentioned. <laughs> you mentioned You're amazing. You knew that it's episode 1244. Yeah, well, I, no, I, I did a Google search in between when you said it and now. <laughs> so I don't okay. Know. I'm like, yeah. um, all so, right, Joe, I got a lightning round question for you. All right. What was your episode 1,132? Oh, my God. I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I, no, I, just I, I don't even have a good answer for that. Okay, best ever deal you've done? Um, uh, first apartment complex that we talked about. 72 years. That was a great deal. Yeah. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about? I bought a mobile home park and just got really hosed by the city and got my construction halted for a year and I didn't raise all my money up front. What happened to it? I was undercapitalized and uh, the city really got in our way. I ended up selling after my partners. But did the city just not like mobile home parks? Was that what it boiled down to? Yeah, there's some new development that was happening. So there was a lot of Menards and a lot of really whole new typical $100 million Menards with a bunch of different anchors that was really close by. And they're putting a facelift on the whole city, the whole city being 17,000 people. But they just didn't like that I wanted to do a mobile home park. And they told me they loved it and wanted me to do it. And it was awesome on the front end and all the meetings we had before we actually purchased the property, bought the property. Then a lot of the people that worked at the city that I talked to left and we had new leadership and they just absolutely hated my project. (laughs) What's what's the best ever way you like to give back? For me, Joe, my faith is a big part of my life, the biggest component of my life. And a lot of ways that I like to give back really to kind of tie back into that. I'd say probably real estate related, I'm in process right now. So my mom, okay, I know this is not very lightning, but I'm going to give this real quick. My mom was a single mom and was we grew up in a, and was real tight financially. And she spent all of her seed money to invest in real estate on real estate education. So expensive seminars and coaching and that kind of thing and didn't really go anywhere. So I started a website where I just give the nuts and bolts components of investing in real estate to help people on their journey of that. And if I could help people like my mom that were wanting to do this and make a difference for themselves and needed education, needed to improve their knowledge base to be able to invest in real estate well, that would be awesome. And I'm, so, yeah, so my website's all free and I, I don't sell anything, books or tapes or anything at all. It's just free content that I put together and, and give the what I know from the last 14 years of doing real estate. On that note, how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? I guess there's probably two different pieces to that. One is if you're an accredited investor and want to explore doing a deal together, reaching out to me through my website, syndicatekansascity.com would be probably the best way to get a hold of me and our team. Or if you're a real estate investor or new or, or in process and you just want to learn about real estate investing, I have a resource, howtoinvestinrealestate.net that gives just a bunch of free content and I don't sell anything and I'm not going to just will help you learn different pieces of it and help bless you on your journey of being successful in real estate. Really enjoyed our conversation and learning how you approach conversations with owners and how you get to the table with the owners through positioning it to the brokers in a certain way. And then how you brought to life that through a couple examples, the boutique hotel that you've got under contract and the 72 units that you've owned for a couple years now and how you structured it. And then lastly, and the foundation of this all, at least from this conversation, is figuring out what part of the process we enjoy the most and then focusing on that. And that truly ties to more enjoyable time on earth as well as coincidentally growth in business because we're doing what we love and we just, we keep doing it. So thanks a lot for being on the show. Really enjoyed it. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon.
Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dot com forward slash show.